Well, hello friends, great to be together. My name's Phil and uh, I'm part of the leadership team at the King's Arms and thanks so much for joining us today on Pentecost Sunday. I don't know if you realised it was Pentecost Sunday or not, but that is the day that we find ourselves on and so it feels right to kind of push into what the Bible says about Pentecost. Uh, you may be listening to this thinking, what on earth is Pentecost? For others of you, maybe you've grown up in a church a tradition that would celebrate Pentecost uh, when it comes around every year. So we're going to dive into what this means together. And we're going to just start by looking in Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. And this is the account of what happened immediately after Jesus has died and risen again. And now he's talking to his disciples and giving them instructions before he goes back to uh, be with the Father. And so this is what we read, Acts 1 verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered round him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so the, the first point of this message is really this. We need another great outpouring of the Spirit because following these instructions that Jesus gave his disciples, they then went to Jerusalem. They waited together in an upper room in Jerusalem. Uh, Acts tells us that they were there for fear of the Jews. In other words, their lives were still at threat because they'd been disciples of Jesus who'd been crucified by the Romans. So they were they were in hiding for fear of their lives, but also in anticipation that what Jesus had commanded them to, to do would result in this coming of the Spirit with power. And so the disciples took Jesus at his word. They waited longingly. They were praying in the upper room when suddenly on the Feast of Pentecost, and we'll talk a little bit about what that means in a moment, suddenly there was a sound of a rushing wind that filled the upper room. Tongues of fire rested on each of the disciples, about 120 of them gathered together, and they all began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. And they had experienced an outpouring of the Spirit on their lives. And it was absolutely transformative for their lives and for the rest of our lives as Christians. That moment led to every other moment as the church was clothed with power. Uh, those that were, were timid suddenly became bold. Those that uh, were, were anxious and fearful suddenly found their confidence. Those that had no power to preach Jesus with power suddenly could do so. Those that were perhaps a bit bored suddenly became energized and joyful. And people, ordinary people got transformed by the power of the Spirit in this moment. And what we know is that from this moment of this outpouring, the whole of the world began to hear about Jesus. News about him began to spread, not just through Jerusalem, but through Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, just as Jesus had predicted. 
And friends, I want to propose that more than any other time, we need another Pentecost. We need another great outpouring of the Spirit. We need, like these disciples, a transformative experience where we are people filled and overflowing with the Spirit of God so that we too are transformed into missionaries that bring the life of God wherever He places us. We need another Pentecost. And ultimately, friends, no clever programming, no clever marketing strategy, no great kind of digital tools or presentational tools can ever take the place of what the Holy Spirit alone can do. We need to be a people of the Spirit. We need another outpouring. And I was reading about one man called Charles Finney who experienced this transforming experience of the spirit coming on him and he was uh, an American man living in New York and uh, preaching the gospel but not really seeing much happen as a result of his ministry but one day he was he was overwhelmed with the power and experience of the Holy Spirit and I'll read you what happened to him He, he writes he says as I turned and was about to take a seat by the fire I received a mighty baptism of the Holy Ghost. Without any expectation of it, without ever having the thought in my mind that there was any such thing for me, without any recollection that I had ever heard the thing mentioned by any person in the world, the Holy Spirit descended upon me in a manner that seemed to go through me, body and soul. I could feel the impression like a wave of electricity going through and through me. Indeed, it seemed to come in waves and waves of liquid love, for I could not express it in any other way. It seemed like the very breath of God. I can recollect distinctly that it seemed to fan me like immense wings. No words can express the wonderful love that was shed abroad in my heart. I wept aloud with joy and love, and I do not know, but I should say, I literally bellowed out in the unutterable gushings of my heart. These waves came over me and over me and over me, one after the other, until I recollect I cried out, I shall die if these waves continue to pass over me. I said, Lord, I cannot bear it anymore. Yet I had no fear of death. How long I continued in this state with this baptism continuing to roll over me and go through me, I do not know. Charles Finney came out of that experience of the outpouring of the Spirit on his life, and everything began to change in New York as thousands and thousands of people across that city began to seek Jesus again. And many, many thousands gave their lives to follow Jesus as a result of one man who experienced his own personal Pentecost. Friends, we've got to be a people that are thirsty and hungry for the Spirit of God the Spirit alone who can transform ordinary people into people that begin to change the world around them. We need another outpouring. What then do we understand about Pentecost? Because Pentecost really uh, means nothing particularly religious. The word Pentecost literally means 50th, as in the 50th day. That's what the word Pentecost means. And in the Jewish calendar, the festival of Pentecost was celebrated 50 days after the festival of Passover. These were two big religious feasts in the Jewish calendar. And there was 50 days between the two of them. And 
At Passover, the Jews would remember the day where God freed them from the slavery to the Egyptians. And Passover, literally, they remembered the, the day that the angel of death passed over the Israelite family. And by the blood of the lamb that was put on the doorposts of their homes, death passed over them. And then the very next day they passed into uh, the promised land, a journey towards freedom. And so they celebrated Passover and then 50 days later they would celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. And what happens with both of these festivals in the New Testament is that Jesus begins to redefine for the disciples what both of these festivals now mean, what they signify. He redefines them and he redefines them for us. So for example, Jesus eats his last supper with the disciples just before going to the cross. And at that last supper, as they shared a meal together, as they broke the bread and as they drank wine around the table, Jesus begins to redefine for them what that Passover meal really meant. He's like, listen, when you drink this wine, this wine is the blood of my covenant poured out for you. When you break this bread, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In other words, Jesus is saying Passover is no longer just a physical deliverance from slavery like the Egyptians, uh, like under the Egyptians years and years ago. But now my blood, my body that's about to be shed and broken for you, you're going to remember this day because I'm not just setting you free from physical slavery. I am going to set you free from spiritual, eternal slavery. My death is going to be the gateway for life. Death is going to pass over you and you are now going to enter into the promised land. You're going to be with your father for all eternity because of what I'm about to do at the cross. This is an amazing, amazing redefinition of what Passover means as Jesus shares his last supper with the disciples. Jesus goes on from that experience and uh, almost immediately goes to the cross and he literally enacts what he's just told them he's going to do at that last supper. This all happens at Passover. What happens 50 days later? Well, it's the Feast of Pentecost. And that's why in Acts chapter 2, you read about Jerusalem being filled with thousands and thousands of people because they were gathered to celebrate that particular feast together. And for 1500 years, the Jews had been celebrating the Feast of Pentecost. Um, which was all about first fruits. Uh, Leviticus 23 is where we first find it in scripture. We read this, count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath, i.e. Passover, and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. From wherever you live, bring two loaves made of two tenths of an ephah of the finest flour baked with yeast as a wave offering of first fruits to the Lord. And then later in Numbers 28, we read this, on the day of first fruits, when you present to the Lord an offering of new grain during the festival of Pentecost, hold a sacred assembly and do no work. What does all that mean? Well, it basically means on the Feast of Pentecost, Jews would bring the first fruits of their crops and offer it as a sacrifice of worship to God. Uh, most Jewish people lived in a, they were an, an agrarian society, uh, built on agriculture, built on crop production. And so one of the ways that they would show their devotion and their trust in God was that they would bring the first fruits of their harvest and they would offer it to God as an act 
of worship. In fact, it was very strict. Farmers could not uh, bring in the rest of their harvest until they paused and brought the first fruits to God as an offering. And that happened on the Feast of Pentecost. And in a way, the Jews, Pentecost was like an investment plan for the future. They believed that by putting a deposit in God's hands, by putting the first tenth in God's hands, God would then multiply blessings through the rest of their their crops and the rest of their family. And so for Jews, as they offered the first fruits, it was in the belief that this would lead to multiplied blessing down the road. And so this is what Pentecost was about on the 50th day, the celebration of first fruits. But as the Holy Spirit falls on the disciples in the upper room, Jesus is now also redefining what Pentecost means in the same way that he redefined what Passover means. In other words, Pentecost is no longer about us offering our first fruits to God, although that's a good principle. And we do that, for example, with things like our money. But actually, Pentecost is now understanding that by his spirit, God has made a deposit in us. He has made an investment in us by his spirit. And we have now become his first fruits. We as believers in Jesus, as those who've been filled with the spirit, we have now become the first fruits of God's labor on the cross. God has made a deposit in us and we have become his first fruits. James 1.17 says this, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he has created. You and I are God's first fruits. Again, 2 Thessalonians 2.13 says, But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is amazing. As those first disciples received the outpouring of the Spirit, it was evidence of this. You now belong to me. And the presence of the Spirit in your life is the loudest sign, the loudest call that you now are the first fruits of God. You're his children. And he proves that by placing Spirit within you. You're God's first fruits. Which is why when you read the rest of the New Testament, and particularly when non-Jewish people start to follow Jesus, Gentiles start to follow Jesus, the absolute clincher for the early disciples and apostles, Jewish apostles, that God was really choosing the Gentiles, do you know what proved it to them? It was this, the presence of the Spirit in their lives. It was because they could see the Holy Spirit being poured out on the Gentiles as well that proved to them they are also first fruits of God. God has also chosen them. And the reason we know it is because we can see the Holy Spirit resting upon them. And the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. The Holy Spirit shows that we are God's first fruits. This is what happens with Peter as he goes to the house of a, a, a Roman centurion, an Italian man called Cornelius. 
He goes to this Gentile house almost against his better judgment, but, but the Holy Spirit sends him. And as he preaches about Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes on them. This is what we read in Acts 10. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of them being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And so he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus. In other words, it's the presence of the Spirit that marks us out as being the children of God, his first fruits. God no longer dwells in special buildings. He dwells in special people that he has chosen, that he has bought with a price at the cross. And he has now made a deposit in our lives called the Spirit of the living God. The Spirit lives within us. So Jesus redefines Pentecost, just as he did with Passover. And now he invites us to continually be filled with and living in the good of the presence and the power of the Spirit in our lives. And as we come in for a landing, the question is, well, how do we do that? How do we uh, continually get filled with the Spirit? And to help us, we're going to take one of Jesus' uh, instructions to his disciples in Luke 11, verse 3. This is what we read. He said, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? There are just three keys I want to draw our attention to. The first one is when we come to be filled with the Spirit, we come expectantly. We ask expectantly. Jesus says, listen, when you come to the Father, how much more will your Father give the Spirit to those who ask him? In other words, come with expectancy that you have a God who loves to pour the Spirit out on our lives. You know, I think one of my observations about coming out of the pandemic is that the enemy has tried to use the pandemic to snuff out expectancy and to snuff out hope within us. And also he's come to try and undermine our trust in authority. Those are two things that have happened in us, I think, through the pandemic. Um, you know, the whole experience of being in lockdown, out of lockdown, back in lockdown, wearing masks, not wearing masks. It's been a kind of continual yo-yo of not quite knowing what's going to happen next. And the things we hoped for haven't always happened. And so I think we've learned to kind of guard our hearts from disappointment in this season because of the way it's been. The trouble is that we can transfer that same guarding of our hearts, that same reticence to hope too much. We can bring that into our relationship with God where we start to dial down our expectancy and not hope too much in case we're disappointed. But Jesus has good news for us. He says, listen, how much more will your heavenly father give the spirit to those who ask. In other words, we come and ask expectantly because of the character and the unchanging nature of God. He doesn't change. He's not like the government or pandemic or some other kind of authority or some other kind of situation. God can be trusted utterly. How much more? 
And so friends, I just wanna call you into an experience of expectantly longing and hoping for the outpouring of the Spirit on your life and that you can hope expectantly because of who God is, the unchanging Father in heaven who loves the poorest Spirit on his children. Second key here is we gotta receive the Spirit relationally. Jesus here says that we don't come to a slot machine we come to a father, come to a father. You know, when we're praying and making requests of God, when we're saying, Father, would you pour your spirit on my life? We're not coming to a vending machine where we put in our money and the chocolate bar pops out. That's not the way prayer actually works because prayer is not just a transactional um, activity. Prayer is a relational activity. We come into a heavenly father and we come as sons and daughters of the living God. And so we've got to understand that when the Holy Spirit comes on us, we will all receive the Spirit in very, very different ways because we receive relationally. You know, when I hang out with my kids, for example, I have a son and a daughter. And, uh, you know, often with my son, we'll, we'll maybe we'll go and watch a football match or we'll go and go to the gym and lift weights together. But when I'm with my daughter, we might go and look at art galleries uh, or go and drink coffee and, and talk and have conversation. And in other words, how I as a dad relate to my kids is different because of my relationship to them and the things that they like. And so the way we interact is, is relational. It's not transactional. We're leaning into one another in relationship. And it's the same with God the Father. We come relationally because he's a relational being. He's a heavenly father, not a heavenly slot machine. And that means that when we receive the Spirit, we receive the Spirit in all sorts of different ways, depending on our relationship to God. You know, sometimes we receive the Spirit with tears, sometimes with laughter. Sometimes we receive the Spirit in great peace and tranquility. Sometimes we receive the Spirit with a, a fire of emotions or shouting or kind of ecstasy of joy. You know, sometimes people receive the Spirit and they begin to prophesy. Sometimes we start to speak in other languages. Sometimes we receive the Spirit and we just, we don't feel a thing, but it's still a reality. Sometimes, you know, literally our bodies can't handle the power like Charles Finney and you know, our bodies fall on the floor or shake, you know, all sorts of different things happen when we receive the Spirit. And that's because we come to a Father, not a slot machine. And so, you know, I remember the first time I really received the Spirit as a 12-year-old. The moment that I was prayed for by some friends, I literally felt nothing. I think I spoke maybe a couple of words in tongues. I thought I was making it up. And it wasn't a dramatic experience. It was quite still really and peaceful but what I noticed is that the next day it's like God had turned all the lights on in my heart I suddenly had a desire to worship I suddenly had a desire to sing I wanted to lift my hands and worship something had come alive on the inside through what was a very peaceful experience the night before now I've had other times where the Spirit has so powerfully come on me that I've been unable to stand I remember one time uh, as a 19 year old literally having to be carried home by friends and put in my uh, bedroom because I just, I could not walk because of the weight of God's power on me. And the truth is friends, different things happen in different seasons, but we receive the spirit from a father who meets us all in the way that we need 
to meet him. And then the third thing in this passage is that we receive the Spirit as a gift of grace. You know, Jesus says, um, you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Spirit? In other words, the Holy Spirit is a good gift, but not a reward for good behaviour. And so when we come to receive the Spirit, it's tempting perhaps sometimes to think, wow, gosh, I'm I'm not perfect. I've actually made some poor choices recently. I'm not that kind of person that I really want to be yet. I'll wait till I clean myself up a little bit and then I'll receive the Spirit. Friends, that's not how it works. The Holy Spirit is a gift of God's grace. He comes as a heavenly father to give good gifts to his children. And so whether right now you feel like you're in a brilliant place with God or there's some things that need to change that you need to repent of and get sorted out wherever you are on that scale. If you're a believer in Jesus, you can come and say, Father, fill me with your spirit because it's not an award for good behavior. It's a gift of God's grace to you. And actually the presence of the spirit helps us change. The presence of the Spirit is transformative for us. It helps us become the people that we're really called to be. And so if you want to live a holy life, if you want to live a godly life, don't wait until you've cleaned yourself up to receive the Spirit today. Say, Father, I need your Spirit so that I can live a godly life because this is a gift of God's grace to everyone who believes in Jesus. You know, Jesus says in John 7, if anyone is thirsty, let them come to me and drink and streams of living water will flow from your inmost parts. Your only qualification is do you believe in Jesus and are you thirsty? Jesus says, come, I will fill you. So friends, I wanna suggest to you very strongly, we need another Pentecost. We need to remember that we are now the first fruits of God's labor at the cross and the way that he demonstrates that is not through some fancy program or production. The way that he demonstrates that is through the presence of the Spirit in our lives that makes us missionaries to the ends of the earth. We need another outpouring. And so today, happy Pentecost Sunday, but I wanna pray for us right now that we would receive the Spirit. So wherever you are, just receive and I'm gonna pray. Holy Spirit, on this day, we just come with open hands, open hearts, and we say, come Holy Spirit, come and fill us afresh with your power, with your life. We are hungry and thirsty to receive you again. And I just pray for every person watching this and who's responding in the Spirit right now, Holy Spirit, move. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, be poured out upon us. We need another Pentecost, Lord. Come and empower us. Transform us like you transformed those early disciples, that we would be your witnesses, that we would be clothed with power so that we can go to the ends of the earth and see Jesus made famous. Lord, give us experiences like Charles Finney had where we are so overcome by the Spirit that our lives can never be the same again. Holy Spirit, come we ask in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Friends, I just want to encourage you. This is just a short moment, but you can carry on once this meeting is finished and just spend some time with Jesus and just say, Holy Spirit, fill me, fill me. God bless you guys.